tonight we'll be con- concluding the series, The Nine. It's on the nine gifts of the Spirit. Tonight we'll be talking about the discerning of spirits, the gift of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Uh, so I want to start by reading the, the verse that we've been, the, the verses that we've been reading for the entire series. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers all and empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utter of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another working of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered By one and the same Spirit, who appoints to each one individually as he wills. So, Pastor Brandon talked about uh, healing, miracles, and he talked about uh, prophecy last week. This week, we're going to talk about the discerning of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Now, when you look at, at these particular, these last three gifts that we're going to talk about, I want to bring out the fact that discerning means to recognize and distinguish. Okay? So this is not the natural ability to sense something is not right. Okay? It's not the function in the realm of the mind, but it's the function in the realm of the spirit. Now, there are three things that are discerned when this gift is in operation. You can discern the demonic, the divine, or the natural. Now, we're going to talk about all of these because I don't want you to get confused on any of them. Now, the divine, the divine ability to see the presence and the activity of the spirit that motivates a human being or, or a service or whatever it is, you, you, you will see that the discerning of spirits is, is just that. It's the ability to discern what spirit is in operation. Now, the reason that it's used for the church, the ability to discern spirits is for the help of security against false doctrines and false spirits. That's why you can see this in operation and, and needed in the body of Christ. See, this is more than just heightened discernment. You know, the world will, will call it intuition or ESP. You know, how many of you heard those those terms? But, and all, but I want you to keep in mind, all Christians have a level of discernment. Okay, you, everybody has discernment. In Hebrews 5, 13 and 14, I want to read this. It says, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. Okay, this is natural discernment. We're going to talk about this a little later on. This is not the gift or the discerning of spirits. Now, God calls us to discern our walk. Okay? But this, once again, is not the charismatic gift, the charismatic gift of discerning of spirits. Now, when you have the ability to discern 
You have the Spirit of God telling you, speaking to you, moving upon you. And He will give you insight into the things that are going on around you. Now, for instance, if you're praying for someone and, and you can kind of sense that something is not right, the, the spirit of discernment, the, the, the charismatic gift of discernment will move upon that on you and you will be able to discern exactly what is oppressing this person. You, you will be able to discern what spirit is in operation in this person. I'll give you an example. In Acts 16, 16 through 18, it says, As we were going to, play, to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. As this, and this she kept for many days, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, you see, she was saying something that was true. She was giving credibility to what Paul was saying. She was giving credibility to, to the message that he was proclaiming. She was saying, hey, his ministry is right. But obviously, Paul sensed that it was a demon spirit or an evil spirit that was thrusting her message. And Paul did not want to be associated with anything that was demonic. So how much more, if you think Paul thought this way, how much more would God not want to be associated with falseness? Right? Okay. (laughs) I just want to make sure. Because here's the thing. In churches, you'll see fads that come through. You'll see, you know, things come through. You'll see false doctrines introduced. You'll see this over television or, or things like that. And it's very important that the body of Christ is able to discern what is of God and what is not. Now, just think for a second. There was a church service on a Sunday morning. And Satan himself popped up behind the pulpit. So the church freaked out and they took off running, tripping on each other on the way out. And they had this guy sitting on the front row with his arms just propped like this, just sitting back. And Satan said, hey, bud, aren't you scared of me? And you know what he told him? He said, I'm not scared of you, Satan. I've been living with your sister for 50 years. (laughs) I said that to say Satan will not just pop up in a pulpit and say, hey, I'm the devil. (laughs) All right. But But what Satan does is he subtly comes in and teaches things that aren't right. And what it does is it deadens your ability to discern. And that's where we can't get so comfortable in everything. Everything should be checked out by the word of God. Don't you understand that Satan could put a sickness on you? And then remove the sickness. I mean, that, I mean, cause if you think about that, if you see something miraculous happen, if the person behind the pulpit is teaching something that is contrary, you will say, well, that must be God because I saw the Spirit of God heal this person. 
that's where it gets confusion. Now, having said that, I want to put a disclaimer that I believe that the Bible teaches that when, when things like this happen, it should be backed up by the word of God. However, when you look in Joel, in Joel chapter 2 verse 28, when it talks about, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Remember that verse. It doesn't say that they spoke with tongues, that they're able to speak with tongues, right? It doesn't say that if you read it. It just says he poured out his spirit. You know, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy and and, and your young men and will see dreams and old men will see visions. So we know that. But when, Paul, when Peter is in the book of Acts, he sees the Holy Spirit fall. He sees them speaking in tongues. And then he says, this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So you notice he saw tongues, but tongues is not mentioned in Joel. But he saw the manifestation. What did he do? The, the discernment, the discerning of spirits was in operation in Peter because he saw that and he said, that's of God. So I do want to say that you have that instance, but for the most part, it must be backed up with the word of God. Listen, the word of God is the ultimate authority on the face of this earth. It does not rest on a man. It does not rest on an office in the church. It does not rest on an apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, pastor. It solely rests upon the word of God. God says that he will protect his word and he will watch over his word to perform it and to back it up, to, to give clarity to it. So it, you know, because I'm telling you, there's people that will say, you can't find this in your Bible. If this was given to me by the Spirit of God, it totally contradicts the word. They say, well, he's an apostle, so therefore he must be hearing from God. No, it's, it, it comes from the word of God. Okay, I just wanted to clarify that. Now, some people believe that God will work in spite of the message or the messenger. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that fully. I don't, because, you know, there, there are some minors that are in, in, you know, that people disagree on. I think God can move in, in spite of that. I believe that, that, because I, I want to tell you a scripture that I had came across. Acts 14, 3 through 4 it says, But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And here, this is the part I want to bring out. And the Lord proved their message was true. By giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. So see, we should never elevate the needs of people over the word of God. That's sometimes what you see happening. Now, you know, when God, like like I talked about earlier, you know, Satan could put a sickness on you and then remove it. And you'd say, oh, that's the power of God. And yet, if somebody's up teaching blasphemy teaching things that are absolutely not true. I'm not talking about minor, you know, doctrinal, uh, denominational issues. I'm talking outright, bold blasphemy. Now, in today's society, love is the new word for compromise. And people will say things like, only God can judge me. That's translated as, let me sin if I want to sin. So what has happened is man's standards are lifted and God's word is lowered. 
That's why, you know, when you pray for someone, you pray for healing. God, perform your word in their body. The word of God is all powerful. The word of God can change circumstances. The word of God can empower you. The word of God is the ultimate authority and in, in the truth on this earth. But a major is what I'm talking about when I heard someone say, Anybody could have got on the cross and died. God just chose to use Jesus because he dealt in a deeper level of revelation. I don't care if it's the Cajun Dome filled to capacity. God will not move on on blasphemy like that. Because it just said in Acts, the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs. If God would move, it doesn't. Because this is what people say. Well, if that person's sick, God will heal in spite of their sickness. God will protect his name and his word. And he will not validate false teaching of that magnitude. He will not take our need and place it above his word. In Psalm 138, 2, it says, I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name. For your love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Now think about that. I'll give you another example. You have someone teaching something, you know, something that's false, something that's, I'm, I'm talking blasphemy. I'm not talking about, you know, I don't, I don't even know where to go with it, but I'm not talking about it was a dove that descended, a real dove or something like it. I'm not talking about something like that. I'm talking about what we just read, something, something like that. And give you an instance. If you're in a service, somebody lays hands on you, said something so blasphemous. You see this, you know, you see a, a healing or you see something. And then they say, let's bring out the Kool-Aid. Let's bring out the snakes. Come on, you wouldn't want to do that. You wouldn't want to drink that handle snakes just because of something you saw. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that if someone prophesies and it comes to pass, God is testing you. So even if it comes to pass, that doesn't mean that it's God. So once again, you have to have a standard. And that standard is the word of God. Now let's talk about discerning the divine. John chapter 1 verses 32 and 34. John bore witness saying, I have beheld the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and it remained upon him. And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the son of God. Now, John saw the the spirit descending as a dove. Now, there are times during the service when you, and you've been here, when you see the Holy Spirit show up and Pastor Todd will discern the Spirit and he'll give direction of, I think we need to pray for healing, right? So you see, you know, cause sometimes the gifts work together. You'll see the word of knowledge given and, and then also you'll sense or he'll sense the Holy Spirit moving in a direction to deal with healing. That's discerning the divine. That's discerning what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Then, then, you know, I've been in services where a message in tongues and interpretation has gone forth. And then you've made have you may have felt that peace that's saying, Oh, that's God. That's discerning if something is of God. Now, there's also discerning the human or the natural. Once again, we're talking about 
the, the, the discerning of spirits. It says in Acts chapter 8, 17 through 22, then he began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray for the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. So much for judging. <laughs> but what happened here is Peter saw the motive of Simon's heart. He saw his natural ability, his natural tendency was to, 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 want, that, to, to want that so he could puff himself up with pride. And that's what Peter saw. So he discerned the human will, the human spirit desiring to be puffed up. Now, let's look at, we, we talked about the, the, uh, the discerning of spirits as far as the gift is concerned. Let's talk about natural discernment. Natural discernment by testing the spirits by the word. Once again, going back to Hebrews 5, 13 through 14. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. So you see, when you read the Bible, you're training yourself to discern the, the good and evil. Now I'll give you an example of, of in, in my own life about discerning of spirits and testing by the word. Now, I'll just give, I'll be brief, I'll, you know, be candid, I'll, I won't give names and, and whatnot, but there was a time when, when I was seeing something on TV, and, and I was discerning that it wasn't of God. Even Shannon was watching, was like, take that off, it's scaring me. Now, spiritual discernment triggered that this is not right. Something is off, something is wrong, something is evil. And in the process of, of looking at that, you can then go and discern in the word of God. There was a particular individual that claimed that they were getting direction for his meetings from a female angel. And in the process of this, it later was discovered that some things were going on behind the scenes. But there were miraculous things that you can see happening I mean, it was one of those things that really made you scratch your head. But then I began to look and I was like, okay, well, I want this to be God. Come on. You want to see a move of God. There's not, there's people that are out there that are very critical, that throw everything out, baby out with the bathwater. But the Holy Spirit, come on, God is pouring out his spirit. We don't need a counterfeit. We don't need something that, that looks holy. We don't need something that looks real. We want the real thing. We want God's presence to show up. We want, we want to see God get the glory. Not a particular man, not a ministry. Come on, we put too much stock in people. We put too much stock in ministry. We see a ministry, it's thousands of people that must be God. 
Come on, our focus needs to be on God. We don't need to be heresy hunters running around trying to shoot stuff down, but we have to guard. I'm talking about individually. You need to guard your family. You need to guard the spiritual atmosphere in your house. Now, I had looked. I was like, okay, well, if they're getting direction from a female angel, let me look at this. So as I begin to study, I saw that the Greek, in the Greek, angelos is only in masculine form. It is never in feminine form. It is never in a neuter form. You know, there's masculine, he, him, his, a female, her, her uh, he, uh, I'm sorry, her, she, or hers, and neuter is it or its, like an animal or something. So, angels were never referred to in any other form in the entire Bible than in masculine. So, in many appearances of angels, you will always see them take on the form of a human. They look like males. Because God created a certain amount of angels. He didn't, con- he didn't make baby angels and, and lady angels. When you see like angels walking, you know, with the, like the lady, that's just mythology. That's not, what, that's not what the Bible says angels are. So that right there triggered, if he's getting direction for his ministry by a female angel, that's not God. So I, I begin to look up even further and I found that Emma was the name of a, a gatekeeper of hell. Now, I said that to say the discerning of spirits will help you discern godly things, but it will also help you discern false light. False light. That's what we need. That's what the church needs. Do you see why it's so powerful? Do you see why it's not just, oh man, I can, I can tell you that this is an operation. No, no, no. This is for the survival of the, of the church. This is for the moving forward in the things of God and not getting derailed because of a personality, whether they mean well or not. That's the importance. Does everybody understand that? This is not being critical. This is being protective. Okay. Now the example, that was an example of, of discerning of spirits and then backing it up with the word of God. But here's the most important thing. We need to be able to discern the Holy Spirit. Come on, that's what we need. We don't, we need to, when the Holy Spirit shows up, we need to be like, whoa, that's God. Come on, that's what, that's what we need. We need to be able to discern the Holy Spirit. You know, when they want to see about money, fake money, they study the real money. We want the Holy Spirit. We want the power of the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at untangling tongues. Because <laughs> this is always the confusion, the confusing area. Uh, and, and this is what we're going to look at. Let's look at the verse of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, 38 through 39. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord 
calls to himself. My question is, God called you to himself. Then this gift is for you. Now, this word gift is Dorea. Because this is how, this is how it's going to untangle. We're going to look at the original. It means a, a present given without being earned. It's used 11 times in the New Testament. You know, it's interesting. When mankind got together and they started building the Tower of Babel and they said, you know, that they, they were going to build this kingdom. God sent and basically scattered them with languages and confused all of them. But you look in the book of Acts and, the, and, and we see that God used those languages to unify in Acts. Remember, they all heard them speaking in their own tongues. Now, let's talk about the evidence of the baptism with the Holy Spirit is speaking in other tongues. Come on, this gets kind of squirrely. You know, some people check out here, but this is what <laughs> this is what the Bible teaches. You know, because some people say, well, I think love is the, the evidence of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Well, you can love and not be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The evidence, and we're going to talk about that. I'm going to give you five key scriptures. And you have to unpack them, okay? So it's not, it's not like, and there, some of them say they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke with other tongues. Some it doesn't say, but you, you use scripture on top of scripture and it'll prove it. Acts 2.38, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit was giving the utterance. Now how many of you have been prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you've sensed this feeling in your, in your belly. I'm, let me see your hand. Okay, yeah, that's When you get prayed for the Holy Spirit, you will begin to sense words moving. You, you feel that uneasy feeling, this desire. You, it begins to bubble up out of you, the Bible says in Isaiah. Remember? Rivers of living water. That's the utterance the Holy Spirit is giving you. Where the faith comes in, come on, you're saved by faith, you're healed by faith. The faith comes in when you yield your tongue to what you're sensing. So he's baptizing you in the Holy Spirit, but he's not forcing you to do anything you don't want to do. So that's right, he's a gentleman, gentle as a dove. So as he begins to move upon you, you are feeling and sensing the Spirit moving. You yield your, your, your faith you use your tongue by what you're sensing and you speak it out. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's keep going. In Acts 8, chapter 14 through 20. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria, Samaria had re received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Remember, we read this earlier. But he saw something. He saw 
He, you see, so right here he saw. Now, when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. You get the spirit of regeneration. He changes you. But when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's like flicking the light switch on. And you give the Holy Spirit access to move and operate in your life. It's yielding. You know, that's what the power is. That's why he says that they had received the the baptism of John, that they had received the baptism of of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then they began laying hands on him and they received the Holy Spirit, meaning the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now as we keep going in Acts chapter nine, verse 17. Ananias departed and entered the house and after laying his hands on him, on, 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 laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, this is Paul, before he became, uh, Paul. Remember, the Lord changed his name. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, but it doesn't say that Paul spoke in tongues. But in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Okay, so that's one of those things where it's precept upon precept, line upon line. Now, let's look in Acts chapter 10, 44 through 47. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed. This is the Jewish people. The Messianic Jews that believed in in Jesus. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speak with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. What happened? They could have said, we we believe in Jesus Christ. He changed our, our lives and, you know, I prayed a prayer. But no, when they when when they saw them speaking in tongues. They could not deny the gift. And he said, they have the same thing we have. But remember, that's the Dorea gift in Acts. That's what we're talking about. So I don't want you to get confused. That's the Greek word for that, that, that's used for the word gift. Okay? We're going somewhere with this. (laughs) In Acts 11, 17 through 18, if God therefore gave them the same gift as he gave to us, once again, Dorea, Also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Remember, they were trying, they were prejudiced. They were like, these are Gentiles. I don't know. They, they eat crawfish and, you know, I I just, I'm not sure that, (laughs) that they should be one of us, but they saw the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They saw them speaking with tongues and they said, look, we cannot deny that this is the same thing that we have. So, Let's keep going. Let's look at the prayer language to the benefit, the benefit of the individual. Okay, this is different than the gift of tongues and interpretation. That's what I want to make clear. Okay. Now, why are there personal tongues? Now, in Acts 1046, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Okay, when you pray in tongues, you're worshiping God. You're, you're, you're declaring the wonderful works of God. So, cause this gets confusing with people when they think, you know, like they, they hear the minister worshiping God in tongues or they hear someone worshiping in tongues and say, Oh, brother, that's out of order. Well, you don't need someone to translate or to interpret. He said, Hallelujah. He said, Praise the Lord. 
You don't need someone to interpret that. That's not the gift of tongues and interpretation. So I want to, we're going to go through this and we're going to separate what is what and, and what's the gift of tongues and what's tongues and interpretation and also what's the prayer language. Right now we're talking about the Dorea gift that you receive when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Is everyone clear on that? Okay. 1 Corinthians 14.4 One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. This is not derogatory or negative. It's good to edify yourself. Right? Remember in Jude 20, it says, But beloved, build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So it's telling you that that's how you build yourself up. Listen, you may be worn out on a specific situation. Your faith may be failing. You may be battling in the battle of your life. Listen, I was burdened yesterday waiting for test results. But I began to pray and worship God in tongues. And I would get the, the, the refreshing would come upon me. Come on, it would build my faith. You go from the negative to the positive. Come on, that's what he's there for. He's there to push you and say, keep believing. Keep moving forward. Now, 1 Corinthians 14, 14, for if I pray in the tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Sometimes it's good for our mind to be unfruitful. <laughs> Once again, this is not negative. This is not negative. Remember, the spirit, your spirit is the real you. The, the spirit is the real you. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but he speaks his mysteries. Now think of this. Let's look at personal tongue for intercession. Because we, we just looked at it for building you up. Let's look at, at, at intercession. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray as we ought, for the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Listen, all it takes is one incident to completely change your life. You can be enveloped in a storm by one doctor's report, by one phone call. Everything that is normal will disappear. You would begin to view things through worry and being scared. You may be woken up in the middle of the night. The spirit is saying, Pray. You begin to pray in, in the spirit. And the next thing you know, someone tells you, man, this happened to me at this time at night. And when you were interceding, you might have prayed and changed that situation. Isaiah 28, 11 through 12. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith we may cause the weary to rest and the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. Praying in tongues is refreshing. Okay, so now let's get to the, the gift of tongues and interpretation. Remember, it's you, you understand this by understanding it's two different words. Okay, so this will clear it up. There's a gift of salvation. There's a gift of grace. That's in, in Ephesians 2.8, Ephesians 3.7. A gift of righteousness, Romans 5.17. There's an unspeakable gift in 2 Corinthians 9.15, etc., etc. This is the word Dorea. But the Bible uses in the 9 the word charismata. 
which is where we get the word charismatic. So in the nine gifts, it's talking about the charismatic gift of tongues and interpretation. You understand that by understanding the original word in the Greek, okay? So in 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 31, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, I'm sorry, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the gifts? Here's where people say, you see, not everybody is supposed to speak with tongues. So therefore, it cannot be the baptism. It cannot be the evidence of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. But here's where it derails that discussion. All of these are talking about, let me ask you this. In verse 28, gifts of healing, that's charismatic gift. Gift of miracles, that's a charismatic gift. Tongues and interpretation, that's a charismatic gift. You see, in the context, he's talking about the spiritual super ability that the Holy Spirit gives. So it's something totally different. So I don't want you to get derailed on tongues, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and the gift of tongues. Okay, so that forever should put a a nail in that coffin. Now, I want to say this as a side note. People say that speaking of tongues is of the devil. Well, how stupid is the devil to give you a gift that brings you closer to God, that wants to worship God, (laughs) come on, that builds yourself up. When you pray in tongues, you don't go run to Satan. You run to God. Now, we know he's stupid, but I don't think he's that stupid. (laughs) Now, let's look at the gift of tongues. The Bible talks about diverse tongues being used in public ministry as a sign gift from God. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak in tongues of men and angels. Now, I want to side note here, too, that word for tongues is glossia, where we get glossary, which is language. So because there are some that say, oh, that's gibberish. Be careful when you say that that's of the devil or that's gibberish, that's Borderline blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now the argument comes up. Oh, that's gibberish. That's just, you know, that's, that sounds ridiculous, foolish. Well, there are 6,500 known languages in the world today. To say that it's gibberish, you have to say, I know all 6,500 languages. <laughs> so when the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost... They had all those around them heard them speaking in their own language. So there's no denying it's a language. But there are languages on this earth and then there's a heavenly tongue, which evidently would they speak in heaven? I I don't, I don't, I don't know. That's not clear. But let's look at it as a gift to the sign of the unbelievers. In 1 Corinthians 14, 22, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for the unbelievers, but for believers. I want to say something here, too. We have three books that I would recommend that you read. One's the John Bevere book on the introduction of the Holy Spirit. Awesome book. And then there's the book by Robert Morris 
the God I, uh, the, the God I never knew. And then Brother Francis has a book that he wrote about the spirit within you. And it's on page 26 of his book. He gives a good explanation of this. It says it's for special anointings, for special things, for special jobs, such as converting the unbeliever or speaking to somebody in his natural tongue, which might not know, they might not know with our natural minds. Perhaps God wants to tell someone something and we are the only ones present with them, yet we don't know how to speak their language. And immediately after this, he gives a testimony of someone who got up to speak in Mexico. And when he spoke, he spoke to people and would seem like tongues to people, but they heard him in Spanish. Now, in John Bevere's book, he gives another example of a lady who was praying in the quietly in the back of the church while he was preaching. When the service is over, there was a gentleman who was sitting directly in front of her and he, he heard her speaking in French. He said to her, you speak perfect French. But you were quoting scriptures in French and you would quote them before the pastor or preacher would give the reference. Now, if an unbeliever heard that, that's amazing. That's what it means by it's a gift for for the unbeliever. Now, the gift of tongues for interpretation. In 1 Corinthians 14, 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Okay. Now in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, what shall, what then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of those, all of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. So you may say, well, it sounds like Paul's contradicting himself. No, he's not contradicting himself. He is saying, once again, for public demonstration of tongues and interpretation. He's not telling them that that's not, that he's not contradicting himself. He's given the parameters in which this gift should be used. In this part, the verse he is speaking of the edification of the church and how to operate in it without freaking people out. <laughs> the gift of tongues is meant to build up, to correct, to comfort, and to give direction. You've, you've probably been in services where a message in, in tongues and interpretation happened. And you saw that it, it, it gave direction. Or someone says, wow, that was for me. God was speaking to me. Now, a message in tongues should be given in the public assembly on the, or in the church, but done in order. That's all Paul is saying. Okay? Now, 1 Corinthians 14, 27 through 28. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak to God in tongues and privately. Now, what this verse is saying is there should be two at the most three messages or people giving messages in tongues. Now, let me say something else. Just because someone stands up and gives a message in tongues and no one interprets, that doesn't mean they're of the devil. Seriously. Someone could just be scared. I mean, if you get the interpretation, it's like, oh, I ain't saying that. <laughs> Come on, I know of that happening to someone. I was in a Bible study, <laughs> and this guy gave, you know, he was, we were talking about this, and he was like, I'll give you an example. I heard a message in tongues and interpretation, and I felt a stirring to stand up. I told my wife 
what the interpretation was. I said, I'm not getting up and saying anything. He said, someone else on the other side of the, the church got up and said exactly what I told my wife. <laughs> you may have somebody in the church that no one stands up. So don't stone the guy who is trying to operate in the gift. Come on, nobody has these gifts down perfect. No one is a master to the gifts. Now, 1 Corinthians 14, 39 through 40. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. All things should be done in decent and in order. So remember, Paul is not forbidding people to speak with tongues. He's saying use the right tongue in the right setting. Now, I want to say something else. The Holy Spirit will not interrupt the Holy Spirit. (laughs) If somebody's preaching, don't stand up and give a message in tongues. That's not godly. Come on, I'm serious. The Holy Spirit is not going to interrupt the Holy Spirit. Somebody's out. Somebody's wrong. And he will not move upon you to where you're uncontrollable. I got to get this message out. That's not God. That's pizza. I'm serious. God's not going to move on you and say, interrupt the message. Come on. He's going to move upon you at the right time. And he will set the scene, I promise you, if you're yielded to the Holy Spirit. And he will allow that to come forth at the right time. Now, let's look at interpretation of tongues as we hurriedly go go to the end. All right. 1 Corinthians 12, 10, the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues and to the another, the interpretation of tongues. And I notice this is interpretation of tongues, not translation of tongues. Because <laughs> sometimes you hear a message in tongues that lasts, last, uh, you know, a couple minutes and interpretation is quick. You know, and say, so, well, that wasn't God. No, you know, I think men have the gift of interpretation. You can talk on the phone for an hour and your wife say, hey, what did your mom say? Oh, she's fine. <laughs> so it's like that's the <laughs> that's tongues and interpretation. <laughs> in first Corinthians 14, five. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more that you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Listen here. Unless someone interprets. So you see, it's not lifting up prophecy over tongues. But what good is it to stand up and give a message in tongues if there's no interpretation? Both are for the edification of the church. So you, so we need to understand. And the interpretation takes a measure of faith. Because I, I, I remember speaking to Pastor Brad before. He, I mean, you know he operated in tongues and interpretation powerfully. Hair in the back of your neck would stand up. But he would say that the, the spirit would just give it to him, the interpretation, as he would speak it. And I used to pray. I, I would just confess here. I'd pray, God, I, I love all the gifts, but please don't ever give me that. <laughs> he would petrify me. I mean, that, he was a great man of faith. I'm a, you know, like Pastor Todd says, a weenie in a steakhouse. So, you know, I, I would be very worried to operate in that gift, but I know God would give the grace. But, you know, he hears everything. God, I'm, I thank you for hearing your servant. <laughs> okay, 1 Corinthians 14, 13. 
Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. That means when you pray in tongues, you should also pray for the ability to interpret the tongues. That's all the, that the, the scripture is saying there. In 1 Corinthians 14, 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. This meaning is one should interpret at a time, not meaning one has to interpret all three messages. Okay? <laughs> Praise God for that. I'll give you another example quickly. There was a, a man who was preaching in Washington, D.C. When the, the service, uh, Washington, D.C., after the message was given, there's a message in tongues and interpretation that went forth. And when the service was over, a man walked up in front of him and spoke in a foreign language who gave the message. The guy answered and said, I'm sorry, I do not speak your language. And that man replied, sir, you spoke my language perfectly. I'm Persian and you told me I must get right with God and get right with God now. <laughs> this man heard tongues. and uh, Yeah, I mean, I would I would lay it down and, and move forward with God on that one. But listen, as we close on all of these, the motivation, motivating force is love. Every, all the gifts will be like gongs. That's what it says. Unless love motivates. Remember, God will move upon you for the person who needs the gift. Not so you can say, I got this gift, this gift. Not so you can check off a box. It's for the person who needs that gift to be operated in their life. If God needs, if this person needs healing, God may bestow the gift of healing upon you for that person. That's the beauty. But love must motivate that. Not self. God's not going to share his glory with anybody. It doesn't matter what, if you're a doctor, you know, a, do- a doctorate in theology, it doesn't matter. God will not share his glory with anyone. So as we talked about, there was reported 6,500 languages on the earth. There was, I heard a story of a preacher who said that there was a guy who gave him uh, uh, tongues and he was like, there's no way this was a language. It might have been one of those, oh, yeah, you've seen that language, you know, that's a real language. But it might have been some kind of language I was real, like I'd never heard this before. He said he questioned that and years later he was watching National Geographic. And lo and behold, there was a tribe somewhere, and he heard that, that language. Come on, God knows what he's doing. Amen. Tongues are languages that are spoken somewhere on this earth, somewhere in some time, but not presently known by you. So it doesn't contradict the scripture when it says that it's a language. Now, remember, Pastor Brandon was telling me about a story he saw. I think it was on... Uh, Maybe ABC News or something. It was quite, it was a, a while back. And he told me the story and I was, I was like, I was fascinated. But then I read the study that the, that the very television program that Pastor Brandon was talking about and I read it and I'll, I'll read it to you. I thought it was, it was amazing. It said in 2006, Benedict Carey wrote an account of research he did in the University of Pennsylvania on speaking in tongues. This article was on the New York Times best, uh, New York Times website. This university took brain images from five women who were speaking in tongues and they found that their frontal lobes, that's the, the thinking willful part of the brain that controls everything that they, that you do. And it was quiet and so were the language centers in the lobe. The study team of doctors concluded 
that speaking in tongues cannot possibly come from the brain. We know it comes from the spirit. That's science telling us what the Holy Spirit has been telling us for 2,000 years. <laughs> Come on, sometimes science just need to say, what does the Bible say? And then take this and... <laughs> now, in conclusion of these nine gifts of the Spirit, I hope you have clarity. We hope that you have desired the, spirit, the spiritual gifts that God wants to give you. Hope that it's not scary for you anymore. Hope that things have become untangled for you. We've seen the reason. We've seen what the gifts were. We've seen the purpose and the power. Now my question to you as we stand is number one, do you know Jesus as Lord? Because listen, you cannot have any of the gifts unless you know the Lord. And then I want to know, have you all been baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Because, come on, this is not scary. This is power. This is, I mean, I needed grace yesterday, <laughs> you know, to, to, to deal with the things that, that I was worried about, concerned about. My mom and dad, same way. I mean, this is, I mean, I'm talking the rest and the refreshing. You need that because your, your verbal language will only take you so far sometimes when you don't know what to pray. Pray in the spirit. We have, you have kids out there. You don't know what they got themselves into. But you'll see the spirit move upon you and you begin to pray in tongues. You do not know what car wreck you just intervened. I told the story about Dylan getting in a wreck. We were praying at a men's meeting over here in the J building. We began to pray in tongues. At that time, Dylan had gotten a wreck, totaled his car, not a scratch on him. I believe that's from the power of God. We were praying the will of God during that time. So I want to encourage you. Don't walk out and say, I don't know about all the spiritual stuff. Come on. God wants to pull you deeper into his ways. God wants to pull you deeper into who he is. When you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, man, the words of, 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 of the Bible will begin to leap off. You'll get revelation. I mean, I'm telling you, God is all powerful. God is all knowing. You, you need God. I need God. The church needs God. The church needs the Holy Spirit moving. This is what separates us from a country club, the power of God in operation and by you the church learning and desiring and wanting to go deeper with God Father we come to you in the name of your son Jesus if there is anyone here that does not know Jesus let me see your hands I just want to pray a quick prayer with you now, how many of you can say that that you have never been baptized with the Holy Spirit let, just let me see your hand I just want to see thank you Father Listen, let me explain how this works. The only qualification to be baptized with the Holy Spirit is that you are saved, that you are a child of God. That's the recommendation. That's the only thing that is needed. And everything that you receive from God, you receive through faith. But the common hindrances are unbelief, not believing, and failure to yield. Come on, you, sometimes you begin to sense that uttering, but you don't yield. You don't. God's trying to give you the Dorea gift, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. 
Now I want to have altar workers come up. If you work the altar, I'd like for you to come up just for those that, that will be needing to be praying for. Because I want to pray for you. Tonight could be your night. Oh, yeah. Tonight can be your night where you say, you know what? I'm tired of struggling in the mind. I've heard the scripture. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you would like to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, come up. Come up and ask God. So, Father, we thank you right now. God, we ask that you would be with us during this altar time, God, and that you would baptize every single person, God, that comes up with that desire, God. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you for this series. We thank you for this service. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your gifts. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith.